Hi, I'm Kristen, and you're listening to A Public Church Podcast. We'd love to connect with you through our social media at A Public Church or through our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. For those of us who haven't met, my name is Todd, and I just wanted to say Happy Easter for myself, Whitney, our boys, Liam and Oliver, just from our family to yours, and thank you so much for joining us today. And I want to say a special thank you to those of you who do not follow Jesus yet have chosen to watch this. Man, we are honored that you're with us, and we want you to know this. Jesus is for you, and we are for you. And if you have any questions about Jesus during this gathering or beyond today, just send us a message on social media. We would love to talk. So just want to ask this question. When you think about Easter, what comes to mind? So when you think about Easter, what comes to mind? For me, I think springtime, bright colors, bunnies. That can be a little controversial. Um, okay, we'll, we'll get to the bunnies another time. But springtime, bright colors. I mean, these are the things I think about. I think about dressing up for Easter. So for me, I love to wear a sport coat on Easter to honor the tradition I was raised in. And to be honest, I just really like sports coats and look for really any excuse to wear them. But for some of you, maybe like Colin, you just saw in hosting, who's rebelling against the tradition he was raised in by wearing his PJs on Easter. Hey, either way, it's fine. Easter is supposed to be bright and happy. Yet why do we feel darkness this Easter? I think about my good friend Scott Ford, who's mourning the first Easter without his mama. You know, we got to honor her and her funeral just a few weeks ago, and it's so fresh, and this is the first time that Scott's had to face this holiday without his mom, and it's undoubtedly, many of you are thinking about people who aren't here on Easter, and then we just think about COVID-19 and the darkness that it has introduced into the world, the fact that a lot of us are facing death and uh, disease, we think about job loss. We think about economic instability, and it just seems like our whole worlds have just been turned upside down. I mean, how does this bright, happy holiday fall in the midst of such seemingly difficult times? And look, these hard times aren't just limited to adults. Kids, you're facing this too. You used to go to school, many of you, and now you're homeschooled. You used to be able to hang out with your friends, and now you can't do that, and you're stuck with your parents, and your parents are stuck with you. That goes both ways. And then you guys are smart. You can pick up on the fact that your parents are just more stressed than usual. And maybe even your mom or dad lost their job. These are just tough times. And the experts, they're consistent in saying that it seems like it's going to get worse before it gets better. On John Hopkins' website earlier today, we're approaching um, 1.8 million cases, over 100,000 deaths worldwide. We are just in the midst of darkness. And, And that can lead us to ask some questions like this. Where is God? Is he asleep? And if he is, could somebody please wake him up? It seems like God is just silent. And maybe even some of you are going, look, this whole lack of activity and lack of seeming presence from God just proves what I've suspected all along, that he doesn't even really exist. These are things that can be going through our minds in seasons like this. And I want to let us know that 2,000 years ago, there were a group of people that were asking some very similar questions. God seemed silent to them. And in fact, they were asking this question, is God dead? I think if we could talk to some of them, some of the eyewitnesses there would have looked us in the eye and said, look, hey, I just saw the guy who claims to be God murdered. 
I saw him executed on a cross, a Roman tool of, of just horrendous execution and torture. I think I just saw God die. What do I do? What do you do when you think you just saw God die? And so I think their story can help ours. And look, I'm not going to pretend that we're going to get into all the depths of these questions in our short time together today. But as we look at the resurrection story from the point of view of people who are asking some of the same questions that we are asking, I think we can find some direction for which to ask our questions. Now, to do that, the first thing we need to understand is that 2,000 years ago, no one expected a resurrection. The whole narrative just tells us this. We're actually going to be in Matthew's eyewitness account, and we're going to start in chapter 27. And if you were to go back and read about the, 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 the death and the burial of Jesus, you would understand nobody expected a resurrection. Just to take one verse, just to prove this, is Matthew 27, 56. It says, at that point... And here's the point. Jesus just let himself be arrested. And so at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. So Jesus arrested and they're gone. Look, they're smart enough to know that if they arrested Jesus, guess who's next? They are. And they didn't sign up for this. They signed up to follow a Jesus whom they thought was going to roll into Jerusalem, declare himself king, overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire, and they were going to get to rule with him. That's what they signed up for. They didn't sign up for a guy who was going to let himself be arrested and let himself be killed. But that's what happened. And so they're gone. They run off. Here's what the disciples did not do. They didn't abandon Jesus to go huddle up and count down for three days until he rose from the dead. No, they thought... It was over. The disciples left, but some of those followers stayed. In Matthew 27, right after Jesus dies, he tells us that there's some people who were still around. Verse 55, and many women who'd come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, mother, the Mary of James and Joseph, and Mary, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. See, the women stayed. And Matthew actually gives us the name of two of these women. He gives us a way to distinguish the other woman. If we look down in verse 61, we understand that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary actually followed Jesus all the way to his grave. We'll, we'll get to that later. But know this, they did not expect a resurrection. In fact, in two other accounts of Jesus' life in Mark and Luke, they both tell us that what these women did is they went and they bought embalming spices and ointment to embalm Jesus. And I'm just wondering, would you spend your hard-earned money buying embalming supplies if you thought Jesus was going to rise from the dead? The answer is a resounding, no, nobody expected a resurrection. And when we understand that, what Matthew writes at the end of verse 27 is actually laced with irony. Here's what he writes, verse 62. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember that the deceiver once said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise from the dead. Here's what's ironic. Jesus' words are impacting his enemies more than his followers. Like his followers, they're hopeless. A lot of them ran off. Even the women who stayed, they're like, hey, he's dead. He's dead for good. We need to bomb him and do this right. But yet, these guys that were the opponents, they're going, hey, he did say he was going to rise. But they did not expect a resurrection. In fact, it keeps going, and they say in verse 64, so we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent a resurrection? 
No, this will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happened, we'll be worse off than the first. They don't expect a resurrection. They're worried about the disciples pulling off some elaborate hoax where they steal his body and claim that he rose from the dead. But look, let's give some ancient people some credit. They understood, just like we do in modern science, resurrection is impossible. And just know this, Jesus followers, we agree with ancient and modern scientists, resurrection is impossible. But here's what we believe. We believe that the God who created the laws of nature and who exists outside of them has power even over death. And with Jesus, he did the impossible. Come on. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. There's one more thing we have to understand. I think sometimes we can mistakenly view um, Sunday morning Almost like we, we think about when Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run. I got to give a shout out to Dylan Standifer. Go follow him on social media because he posted something this week that just caught my attention. Dylan plays baseball at Lee. He was a all-state athlete and baseball and football at Bradley with us. And man, I just love Dylan. And, and this week he posted uh, basically what was a recap of, of when Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run. And man, the crowd goes wild. Everybody's anticipating it and they mob him at home plate. And honestly, I think that's how we can view the resurrection sometimes. We think the disciples were just sitting outside the tomb, counting down and going, any moment, three, two, one, and Jesus came out and they mobbed him and carried him off. No, they'd ran off. The women just wanted to embalm him. Nobody expected a resurrection. They thought that God was silent at best and dead at worst, which makes Matthew 28 even more remarkable. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Little context in ancient history. We read this and we're like, ah, this is kind of weird. Why are there angels? Matthew's original audience would have been like, duh, there have to be angels. He was writing to a Jewish audience. And in their history, basically, whenever God did something really awesome, angels were there to announce. They're like, sweet angels. Just incredible to know the ancient context and how they would have interpreted this. And then verse five, the angel speaks to the women. Don't be afraid. He said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. In other words, he died, but he isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said he would happen. You may have forgotten his words, but he predicted this. Come, see where his body was lying. I love the irony in the story. The guards who were put there... <laughs> and they were assigned to guard the dead, themselves become as dead. And the one who is supposedly dead, he is alive. And I love that the angels say, hey, don't believe me. Look, look, the tomb is empty. And look, this morning, I can't say, look in an empty tomb. We can't go to Israel. If, if we could go to Israel right now, we would see an empty tomb, but I can't do that. What I can do is point us to two strands of evidence. One we'll talk about now, one we'll get to later. But the first strand of evidence is actually talked about by Richard Bachham, an incredible book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And here's what he says. He wants us to understand that there's magic in the details. And he says this, I want to suggest the possibility that many of the named characters in the gospel 
gospel accounts were eyewitnesses who not only originated the traditions to which their names are attached, but also continued to tell these stories as authoritative guarantors of their tradition. Todd, what are you talking about? Remember, we named the women. Remember, there was two different women named, and there's another woman who we could easily distinguish. Why is that? Because these women were well known, and they remain accessible and authoritative sources of these traditions as long as they lived. How do we know this is true? Because Matthew put eyewitnesses in here. He names the women, and his audience would have known these women. They would have been in their circle, and they could have literally gone to Mary Magdalene, gone to the other Mary, and say, tell me about it. Tell me when you saw the empty tomb so we can trust that this is accurate, that this is history. N.T. Wright says it really well. The God who remained apparently silent on Good Friday is having the last word. Look, God's not silent and God is definitely not dead. And the women for us, they're the evidence and they're the example. Because notice what they did. When the men ran away, the women followed Jesus literally to his grave and they worshiped him. That's what they were doing. Yes, they thought he was dead. Yes, they thought it was over. But they were going to honor him to the end. This was going to be an act of worship as they embalmed his body. Will we follow the example of the women? And will we worship even in the darkness? And even when it feels like God may be silent? And here's how, why we can, because the resurrection gives us hope. In fact, John, one of the disciples, when he was an old man, he'd seen a lot of darkness. He'd experienced a lot of times in his life when he probably thought God was silent. And yet John at the end, I think he's remembering the resurrection as he writes this in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John says, look, the resurrection proves that in the end, light wins. But what about in the middle? What about in the meantime? What about this Easter season when it seems like there's darkness everywhere? Let's follow the example of the women and worship anyway, even in the middle of our doubts and questions. And public worship is going to give us the opportunity to do just that right now. I'm going to come back and finish the talk, but before I do, they're going to lead us in a song called Oh Praise the Name. One of the things I love about this song is that at the end of the first verse, Jesus is still in the grave. Jesus is still dead. Yet we continue to sing, Oh Praise the Name of the Lord our God. Oh Praise His Name forever. Because just like the women, we can praise Him in the darkness, in the middle, knowing that in the end, light wins. So right where you're at, I just invite you to stand and sing. Man, come on. The resurrection is why we can sing, oh, praise the name. And maybe you are in darkness. Well, we said for all in darkness, we sing louder because Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. So hopefully right now you feel some hope that you didn't feel at the beginning of this talk. Hopefully the light of the resurrection has begun to shine in the darkness around us. But now what do we do? And if the women are the evidence and the examples, let's let them be our example. Let's let them show us what to do by seeing what they were told. If we look in verse 7, the angel says, And now go quickly and tell. Go and 
tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. So, so what do we do? Go and tell. What, what do we tell? Jesus rose from the dead and he wants to impact you. We go and tell people that Jesus rose from the dead and he wants to impact you. How do we know that he wants to impact people? Because just let's use our brains. Let's think about it. You don't meet someone who is dead and is now alive and remain unchanged. Like you will be impacted. And in fact, these women were impacted. Verse eight says, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. So look, they're terrified and exuberant. It makes sense. They weren't expecting a resurrection. Suddenly, they were told Jesus rose from the dead. So it makes sense that they're scared to death and filled with joy. And so they're running off and notice what happens next. Verse 9, and as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. This is impact. I mean, imagine if you're these women. You showed up to the tomb to embalm his body. And now you're holding him. Now you're worshiping him because, Jesus, I thought you were dead, but you're alive. I thought it was over, but it's just beginning. I thought it was hopeless, but now I have a lasting hope that I've never felt before. I thought the darkness was going to win, but now your light has won. And they just worship him just like we just did. (laughs) And then Jesus gives them something to do, just like the angel had. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, go tell. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, for they will see me there. What is Jesus saying? Go and tell. Tell them that Jesus rose from the dead and he wants to impact them. And I love if we look at the original language in verse seven, when it first says, go and tell, it's actually in the passive And that means that there's a divine agent. In other words, God is the one leading them to go. But now that same verb becomes active in verse 10 because God's here. Jesus is the one saying, go. I love the details of this story. And if you're wondering about impact, what kind of impact did the message of these women have? Well, the disciples, they changed from abandoning Jesus at his death to following Jesus to their own deaths. Most of them were martyred for following Jesus. That is impact. And once again, the women are the evidence and the examples. If you're still going, man, I can't buy into this supernatural event called the resurrection. Just know this. No invented story in this culture would have assigned the role of premier and first witnesses to women. Because even in Jewish law, women were not respectable witnesses. Nobody would have said, hey, let's make up a story. Let's let women be the premier and first witnesses. Because everybody would believe that. No, nobody would believe that. This is actually ridiculous in this culture. And that's why we know it's true. Nobody would have made it up. And ladies and young girls that are watching this and that want to grow up and be leaders know this. There is a place in the Jesus movement for you from the resurrection. He said, you are valuable. In other words, at every level of society, no matter how you categorize yourself, Jesus died for you. He rose again for you. And he gives us all the same mission to go and tell, adding value to every single one of us. 
So women did. <laughs> the women went and told, will we? For those of us who don't follow Jesus, will we go and tell, even as the darkness is still around us? Will we go and tell, even in the midst of our questions? Will we go and tell, even in the midst of our doubts? Because when we go and tell, Jesus will change lives. And look, verse 8 that described the ladies, it may describe us. It says they were frightened and filled with joy. As we're going to tell somebody about Jesus, we may be scared to death and filled with joy. That's okay. Let's still go and tell knowing that Jesus is with us. Let's tell them Jesus rose from the dead and he wants to impact you. A question, why would anybody believe that Jesus wants to impact them? Well, we've got to let them see and hear how Jesus has impacted us. You know the overarching message of the empty tomb, in my opinion? It's actually right here. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes death to life. Jesus changes darkness to light. Jesus changes hopeless to hopeful. And Jesus is changing everything in me. These women, they were not the same. And they were able to go say, look, Jesus rose from the dead and he wants to impact you because Jesus changes everything and look how he is changing me. So what we want to do is we want to be able to tell our Jesus changes everything story. So the action today is that we actually write our story. So some of you guys responded to our social media request for you to send in your name and address and we actually mailed you this card. If you got this card, this is the time to grab it and grab a pen. I know that not all of you saw that. I know that not all of you were able to respond by text. So look, just grab a free device that you have. Grab some card because we're going to have a moment to begin writing our Jesus Changes Everything story. Before we can go and tell, we must get prepared. And I just believe that if we prepare, God will give us a way to share. But we need to prepare. And we need to write our Jesus Changes Everything story. So here's really three categories for us as we write. And we're going to get started in just a moment. The three categories would simply be this. Pre-Jesus, <laughs> what my life was like before Jesus. The moment of surrender. And then how Jesus is changing everything. Pre-Jesus, the moment of surrender. And how Jesus is changing everything. And I recommend that you start with that first story. Your initial moment of surrender but then there are so many versions of this story for those of us who follow Jesus because Jesus continues to change us. The women would have talked about how they met the risen Jesus and then they went and told they were forever changed by him. I think about Cameron and Dana Ballou. For you guys writing this story, you're probably going to start in somewhere around November of 2017 as Public Church went through a series called Poured Out and we talked about fostering and adopting and you really felt Jesus lead you to Foster. And so you started that long road to foster. And then, guys, we should celebrate this. Like if you're in your living room, this should fire you up and maybe get you to at least sit up or stand up off the couch. The fact is that this week, April 7th, was adoption day for Mac and Lucy. And here was what they posted on social media. For 629 days, I've shared the home of Cameron and Dana Ballou. I've shared their home. And as of today, I share their last name. That is impact. That is Jesus. Jesus changing Mac and Lucy and Cameron and Dana and their baby Charlie. That is Jesus changing everything in their lives. 
And I'm telling you, as the Baloo's share that story, people are going to know, man, Jesus changed them and he wants to impact me as well. So I know today's busy. I know it'd be easy for us to think, yeah, I need to write my story and to never do it. And we're not going to take time to write our whole story. But I am going to give you just about 45 seconds, about a minute to start writing an outline. Just start jotting some things down so that this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow, we can sit down and, and literally write our story. I know that's the first part. Then we got to go and, and tell. But look, if we prepare, I believe God will give us opportunities to share. So we're going to take just a moment and write this. And look, for those of you who don't follow Jesus, here's what I understand. I understand that you don't have a Jesus changes everything story. So as we take a moment to write, I want to invite you to send a text to 423-665-9317 because we have people ready and waiting to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. That number is going to be on the screen. And so those of us who follow Jesus... Let's write our Jesus Changes Everything story, at least start the outline. And if you don't follow him, this is an opportunity for you to text or call that number and you can, your Jesus Changes Everything story can begin today. So let's take just a moment and write. I love that we started today's talk by discussing the fact that often God seems silent and we're ending our talk by finding our voice to go and tell. And you may be saying, Todd, how am I going to go and tell when I'm stuck at home in quarantine? Look, let's be creative. Maybe you want to take your story and post it on social media. Maybe some of you say, you know what? Jesus is changing me like every week. And so I'm going to post something new on social media every week, an update of how Jesus is changing me because I want to go and tell. Maybe you just keep this card beside you. And when you're on a phone call or in a Zoom, you're going to have an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. I just believe that if we prepare, God will give us an opportunity to share. The women, they're the evidence and the example. And just like them, we can go and tell people, Jesus changes everything. He rose from the dead and he wants to impact you. And to inspire us <laughs> to write our stories and to go and tell. Three people in our church family actually recorded and sent in their story. Ren Parker, Josh Estrada, and Tiffany Sherlin. So we're going to end our gathering today as those three just share their story for us. And then after that, public worship is going to come back up and lead us in two powerful songs. So I just invite us, let's be inspired by these three stories. And then when they finish, let's stand and sing about the Jesus who rose from the dead. So Ren, is going to get us started. My name is Ren, and I'm five years old. Can you tell us about what Jesus into your heart? I grabbed my microphone, and then I said something. Can you tell us what you said? I said, this is a worship scene. doesn't matter what kind of skin, nose, eyes, ears, mouth, dog, family. matters about God, Jesus, love, in your heart. And what did you do after that? I go to tell my mom, and she came, and she, I, I said the same thing. Can you tell us um, what it felt like to ask Jesus into your heart? Great. And if I asked him into my, my heart, then you can ask him into your heart. What advice would you give somebody? Like, why should they ask Jesus into their heart? Because he loves you. How did you feel? Great. And he died on the cross for our sins. 
How does being a Christian make your life different? Awesome. I just love having Jesus into my heart. It changed my life. What are some things that you do now that you're a Christian that you didn't do before? I I want to go to church every single day now. And I'm starting to want to read the Bible. And I want to worship all the time. What are some ways that you can show worship? You can listen to worship songs and you can put your hand on your heart, raise your hand and sing with this. How can you show love to God every day? Listen to worship songs and read the Bible. What do you love about Jesus? Well, he loves us and he died on the cross for our sins. Wants us in each other's heart. What was your life like before you asked Jesus into your heart? Super bad. I didn't want to go to church. I just wanted to go to school. So I just wanted to stay home. But now I just want to stay at church forever and do worship every single day. Do you have anything you want to say to everybody watching? I wish you have a great life and ask Jesus into your heart too. Bye. Rural Public Church, my name is Joshua Estrada. Those who know me call me Josh. And when Cody approached me about doing a video, I thought, I'm the most boring guy I know. So with a little coaching and a little coaxing, I agreed. So here goes. I've never been a part of a church that uses the word intentional and authentic and having intentional relationships and authentic relationships in church and wanting to grow spiritually and emotionally. And in the last five, 10 years, I can honestly say that watching God work in my life has been everything, every bit of a miracle. And starting with my son, who was born with a heart condition where he had a hole in his heart. And, well, basically, we didn't realize until he was two that we needed to quarantine him, and which is nothing new to us now. So it prepared me for everything in that the God I serve cares about our every need and wants to see us through and is in control even though I have personally have a hard time letting go of that control. And, and seeing that at work at public church really galvanizes the decision to come here and stay here. And Todd with his challenging sermons, just really, I count it a privilege to serve alongside this stellar group of folks that, that I get to go to. Church of Public Church. My name is Tiffany Sherlin, and I would love to share a little bit about my Jesus journey with you. Um, so my journey started when I was four years old. I woke up one morning and just felt the Lord speak to my heart, and He said, um, it's time for you to ask me into your life. And so I did, and that started a journey full of ups and downs, um, including some family issues and health problems, as well as uncertainty and isolation. 
um, and just everyday situations. Um, however, those situations um, made me question my basic beliefs at times, and there was a time where I questioned the goodness of God. Um, but they also opened my eyes and showed me that up until that point, my relationship with Jesus was based on emotions and isolated one-time encounters. So that's where public church comes in. Um, they offered me an authentic community where I could partner with other believers and embrace the journey of following Jesus. It was a safe space to explore my relationship with the Lord and grow even through the tough times and questions. So now I'm growing each day in faith um, and I find my purpose in serving and loving others. And I really believe that those trials prepared me um, in a unique way to be able to serve and minister about God's faithfulness even in these uncertain times.